Hello, musical theatre fans. Welcome to the Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast. My name is Ian Boquet. I'm a composer, photographer, reviewer for musical theatre, and I also host this podcast on which I pretend to be a mayor for some reason. Every week I talk to guests who are much more qualified than me to, I mean, to have any sense of power or authority in the world of musical theatre. Um, but still, I'll pretend to be a mayor and talk to them and ask them all about their favourite shows, the shows that made them who they are, the shows that have shaped their approach to musical theatre. Today's guest is our very first ever producer. That's right, producer. We've talked to a lot of performers on this podcast. Always a joy to talk to actors, singers, dancers and find out what informs their performances and what inspired them to go into this world. But how about a producer, someone in charge of, well, let's just face it, someone in charge of choosing the shows we get to see. Katie Lipson has produced some incredible work. We talk a lot about all of her different shows that she's done over the years during the podcast itself. But I highly recommend you go on the Aria Entertainment's website as well and see all the shows she's been involved with. She's a founder of Aria Entertainment's. She's currently producing shows such as Brokeback Mountain at Soho Place, um, Cruise, which is, it was a big hit at Duchess Theatre in London quite recently. But as we will talk about, it's now going to home Manchester and Mountain for Elodie. A Mountain for Elodie by Benjamin Shoyer, who is a wonderful... Have you heard of Benjamin Shoyer? He's so good. If, if you haven't seen a Benjamin Shoyer show, um, well, I guess now's your chance. Go, get up to Edinburgh and see A Mountain for Elodie, August 4th to 27th at Gilded Balloon Patter House. I'm a huge fan of Benjamin Shoyer. He's... Um, well, he's, I think he sort of started out in the rock folk scene, but now he's moved into this sort of one-man show story, narrative, musical theatre with incredible guitar playing. He's amazing. Get up to see that show. Um, yeah, if you want dates for the other shows, Breakback Mountain, it's already open. It's a beautiful, beautiful play with music. It's at Soho Place, the new venue near Tottenham Court Road in London. Um, it's on until the 12th of August. And Cruise is in home Manchester until well, 20th of July to the 12th of August. I highly recommend that show as well. I reviewed it recently. It's so good. This podcast is produced in association with Musical Theatre Review, currently celebrating its 10th anniversary as your premier source of news reviews and interviews on all things on stage, backstage and worldwide. Check them out at musicaltheaterreview.com and on Twitter at musicaltheaterr. You can also follow this show on the socials at at musicalmarepod. Check the show notes for this show and also follow Katie Lipson. She's going to be producing some of the most incredible work in London, in the UK, in the world, in the near future. So you'll want to be up to date with everything she's doing. Right. Well, let's jump into this Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast with Katie Lipson. People know I'm a musical obsessive. <laughs> Welcome to the Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast. I am composer, reviewer, photographer, and now podcaster slash fake mayor, Ian Boquette. But I am far less worthy of the title of Mayor of Musical Theatre than my guest today. She is the award-winning founder of Aria Entertainment and the producer of some of the most exciting West End, off-West End and touring shows of recent times, including, to name just a few, From Here to Eternity, Zorro, The Adams Family, The Share Show, The Last Five Years, The Olivier-nominated Cruise, and most recently, the brand new adaptation of Brokeback Mountain, which is about to open 
Lipson just opened when uh, when the podcast goes out at Soho Place. Katie Lipson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So for the listeners who might not know exactly what goes into being a producer, how do you define your role? How do you describe it to people? Well, as an independent producer, I am obviously the artistic and executive head of my company. So I have to make artistic decisions about the properties we're going to produce and develop and invest in. And at the same time, I have to run the company and bring in enough finance to cover my staff um, and to constantly be thinking ahead about what the next three years might look like in terms of projects, um, because obviously each project in a different scale takes a different amount of development and time. Um, so I would say that I'm creative in the sense that I'm a creative leader of the company, but I can't just think in terms of product. I have to think also in terms of the business side as well. So it's putting both those heads together and trying to create um, an economical and profitable model out of theatre. So it's not as easy as just thinking, oh, I love Into the Woods. Let's put a production of that on. Exactly. It's all about uh, where, when, how, who's in it. You know, (laughs) it's a lot of uh, boxes to tick and lots of you know, doors to open. Um, As you alluded to there, I imagine finding collaborators is a big part of the job. What do you look for when you're choosing directors and writers and people to work with? Well, obviously, you know, this job is a career. It isn't just for now. It's it's a a long, you know, stretch of development and, and relationships. So I'm constantly building new relationships through seeing shows, meeting people, hearing their ideas. I look for passion. I look for forward thinking people. I look for people who have the same sort of connection with um, creativity as I do. People that I share vision with um, and taste. Um, So as I was building my career, those relationships came from seeing lots of off West End productions and realizing that they were the creatives I was going to build my career with. And hopefully, as I do larger projects, work with some of those, you know, people that were at the very starts of their career when I was. And I was obviously I get the opportunity to work with a lot of a lot more experienced creatives, too, that have had a long career in the West End or um, around the UK as well on different projects. Um, You're looking for people that you have a great time with, because at the end of the day, what's so brilliant about our industry is loving what you do. Um, So whilst it's challenging and hard and there's a lot of rejection as much as I guess performers and creatives feel as a producer, you also get that. You just want to make sure that you enjoy the experience because nothing, that doesn't have a price. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's like any sort of friendship. Who, who do I feel that I want to spend time with and create magic with? And who can I do that with time and time again? That's great to hear. It's all about having a good time, about connecting with people in a friendship sort of way. Um, I think there's sometimes you get old school visions of producers of being really strict and really working people too hard and making everything really stressful. And there must be an element of having to be in control of your time and stuff. But it's nice to know you focus more on creating a good environment. Yeah. And when I say friendships, I mean, when someone that isn't working in this industry wants to try and understand what I look for, I say a friendship because when you look for a friend and who becomes someone in your life for a long time, it's someone you connect with. It's someone that's there for you. It's someone that you share, hopefully, a lot of life's values with. And I think that's the same when it comes to the creative values and the way people like to work. 
there are all different types of producers and it can get really difficult because at the end of the day, it is a business. You're not just looking after a cast and creatives and your audiences. You're looking after investors and people that put money into your projects. So you have, you know, the buck does lie with you and you have to say no sometimes and you have to say something isn't working and you have to say, we can't have that extra costume. We can't have that extra budget for those extra lights. And it's, it's, it's very hard. And I've had a lot of experience with small budgets and trying to do a lot with small budgets, both with my work when I was producing at the Hope Mill Theatre to the Southwark Playhouse type model, where you're doing a show that's no different to West End, except that it's smaller and runs for less time, but you expect the same high quality performers and creative execution and your audiences expect it because they're used to that to that standards. But and yet, and yet, your economical your economic situation is very different. So um, that's kind of given me a lot of ground and foundation for understanding the value of money and looking after my investors. Because the very you know, I, I, at the early stages, I had to invest in my own shows. I had to put my savings in and and put the last bit of money in so the investors know that you're looking after the dime you know <laughs> absolutely um i think one of your i'm right in thinking your your start in musical theater was producing and directing your own uh, fringe show so that must have been a great experience of learning what it's like to be a writer and a director for a small scale show before aria at university i set up a company with a friend and we got a stage kindly we produced maybe 10 different musical reviews and as someone that studied classical music, I was musically directing the shows, putting the, the songs together, the song choices, the running order, the, you know, the narration in between. We presented the shows. We found the performers, the venues. We marketed them. And like I say, I played in every show and sung in every show. And those skills are no different. Of course, I don't sing in the shows now. I have been known to get on the piano <laughs> for auditions when, the, when it's run over and the audition pianist has to leave. And I love, and I love that. And I, and I have had a lot of experience um, working with actors and acting through songs. So I really care about musicals and I care about the performer and the experience. So um, yeah, it set me up in, 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 in a good way to understand the, I guess the, the stages of putting together a show. <laughs> Every uh step. I can see a keyboard and a cello behind you now. Do you get? Uh, do you still get a chance to play music a lot? The piano, yes, because it's you know it's just there, and mm. uh, piano is my main instrument, and I love to write and sing, and been trying to play classical music, which really was my first you know kind of love was classical music before it moved to theatre music um, and popular music, obviously, but. Uh, the cello, not so much, which is a shame. I mean, I wanted to play the cello because I loved orchestral music so much as a child. And I wanted to feel what it felt like to be part of a larger ensemble, which you don't often get as a pianist. But the thing you get on the piano, which is, I, I think, why I, I got into what well, I love musicals. And I I loved um, taking, say, the easy song book of Angeloid Webber when I was 10 and making you know, Don't Cry For Me Argentina sound bigger than it was on the page so that I felt like an orchestra all on my own on the piano and could embellish it and improvise and kind of just love the romanticism of, of those beautiful epic musical theatre ballads and songs. So it makes me a better producer because my foundations come from music and passion, which means that I care deeply about the story and the work I'm telling on stage and my choices in what I choose always come from a perspective of being an artist as I said at the start 
it's I think more like that of course we think about who's in it and how do I sell tickets and you know there's all different ways there's so many different models to producing you know there's putting a star in a revival or you know and there are when I was cutting my teeth I did a lot of revivals because these were shows that were already considered finished and good and you would do your spin on it but obviously a new piece of writing has a very different um thing it's a very different thing and it gives you a, a very different sense of joy when it works um because you've made that from scratch mm. you know absolutely well one show you've got coming up very soon is a new piece of writing but very much based on an existing very popular property Brokeback Mountain I'm going to see it at Soho Place later in the week uh, what should I be expecting with that I'm really excited about it it's very very beautiful and nuanced and intimate Soho Place is such a beautiful new venue like nothing in the west end and you are immersed into the lives of these two men and their families and you you could you know you it almost feels like you're in their in their world in in you know where they are in their location um space is used really beautifully it's in my opinion it's it's quite different in terms of its genre because whilst it's not a musical in the sense that the characters do not sing about their feelings because so much of their feelings are in, internalized it wouldn't make sense if they always sung about them because there's so much for the audience to figure out what are they thinking how have they changed through time why are these two men so different um but we have an on-stage band who sing songs that have emotional narrative that link to time location character and it serves as a really nice tapestry to telling this story, which is based on the the short story version of Brokeback Mountain, which obviously the movie was adapted from. And it's a, it does something very different to the movie in that it is based on the on the on the book, the story, and it can't, you know, we don't see men on horses, and we don't necessarily see the mountainous hills yeah you know, we don't we don't get to visually see that but what we get to see is something a lot different and we get to see um you know it's it's different the way you tell a story theatrically to cinematically um and it's still a very relevant story and i think that audiences are really loving it you can't really hear a pin drop it's so you know intense in the room we've had a great re reaction to previews and i'm really excited for the press to come in but as always with anything it is just a matter of opinion and people will have different opinions on this mainly probably because of the movie and the expectations of what that movie said at its time and what it did and what it could say and what this play does which is different and obviously it's bringing it to a whole new audience that maybe didn't see that movie because that movie is quite old now Absolutely. um so yeah it's it's special the actors are fantastic and what they do and how young they are and how they emote this complex story is uh, quite beautiful. Well, speaking of movies and plays with an LGBTQ theme, Cruise, which your Olivier-nominated production, which was at the Duchess Theatre on the West End, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful show. I really loved it. And there's talk about that being made into a movie or possibly coming back as a stage show as well. Can you give us any updates on that show? Yeah, so we did the Duchess run, as you said, and then we did a run at the Apollo last year for another four weeks, which was a great season. And we're really happy to announce that we're going to do our first regional production. We're going to run at home in Manchester, Beautiful. which is very exciting. It's my hometown and it's going to run there um, in, in the end of July, um, July 20th, um, to show... Manchester audiences this wonderful story that isn't 
you know, just about London. Um, it's it's about it connects with everybody. So it's important to take this work outside of London because you know London isn't doesn't represent the whole country. So we're very excited to be invited to perform at home. And Cruise is still uh, possibly going to be made into a feature film um, after its success at the Apollo. And those conversations continue. Um, and again, if it does become a film, it will be very different again than the play because what Jack does so brilliantly on stage with John Elliott, the composer, is um, a one-man version of this story, which obviously he wrote in that way. But if it's translated into film, it opens up a whole new narrative and how that can be told cinematically. The stage show itself is quite, and there are so many scene changes, there's so many fast-paced sequences, and it's been done by, by just by Jack. But you can really imagine how it would work on screen and how exciting it would be. Yeah, and obviously, if, when you if you lose that brilliance of that multi-rolling, which he does so effortlessly, which is part of its USP as a stage play and part of its brilliance, how he is able to evolve his characterization and accent so subtly, but yet so clearly and when he's going from being Michael to Dave the two lovers and interchanging that um when that's lost because you're multi-rolling um you have to bring out something else mm. to tell the story in a brilliant way so it will be really exciting to see that develop and to see what can be created and what the cinema can add to what we would find hard on stage so you're just flipping the storytelling in a way to create some other piece of art which it's what's really exciting about visionary people, you know, the right film director, the right stage director. They all have skills that enable the piece to soar in different ways to new audiences. Another show which is coming up very soon at the Edinburgh Fringe, A Mountain for Elodie by Benjamin Shua. Another one which is one man's vision, um, very much him himself with what about seven guitars. I think I counted on a sort of crazy cox last telling a story himself. Uh, how did you get involved with that show? So funnily enough, when I was an early producer in 2012, Benjamin had his show, the lion. I remember seeing that show and thinking, who is this guy? He's incredible. And I had that thing called producer envy when you see a show and wish it, wish it was your production. Anyway, I've been following his career for some time. And then a few months ago, he reached out to me to say, did you see The Lion? I said, yes. He said, I've now written what I consider to be the next piece, the follow-up, the piece 10 years later. What The Lion dealt with me as a younger man, single, losing my father, dealing with a cancer diagnosis, and, you know, getting through that emotionally to now being on the cusp of 40, a father, a husband, bringing children into this world, still dealing with the grief of losing my father and what that brings back when you have children. So this is, Elodie is, is, his, is his daughter. And this is all about the, you know, the, the, the struggles and the joy and the beauty of that next part of his journey. And we go through it all and he's it's quite incredible again as a genre like in some ways you're like oh it's a singer songwriter he's going to play us some songs but ben has this skill of just bringing you in removing the fourth wall then then you know putting it back in getting lost in his storytelling then him you know addressing us again and it is a musical you know it's a musical because he's telling this through direct address through song and he's working with Polly Finley, brilliant director, to shape this dramaturgically. And he's been showcasing it every other week at Crazy Cox to test the material out with the audience, which is a wonderful 
um, opportunity and freedom to to sort of see what's working and what's not. He loves Edinburgh because he had a great experience there 10 years ago. So he asked me if I would help him take it there again and introduce it to the to the to the marketplace and see where it can grow. It's a perfect show for Edinburgh, I think, because there are so many one-person shows up at Edinburgh. But as you say, his has the expanse of also telling a great story and his you know, his technical playing is something you have to see to believe as well. There's so much in that show. Yeah, it really virtuosic what he can do with those instruments. And he'll be playing the piano in this one as well. Yes, that was an exciting thing. Um, at the Crazy Cox, I've taken a few different friends to see it. Some who are into comedy or some who are into storytelling, some who are just into music. And they've all really loved it. So I really think it's a show that anyone can enjoy that one. Great. Thank you. Well, let's get into the main questions of this podcast, if that's all right. Which is the show, if there is one, which first made you fall in love with musical theatre as a form? Yeah, I hate to be probably obvious, but I mean, I did, I think at the time when I was young, Les Miserables was on in Manchester for quite some time. You know, it was sat at the theatre at the Palace. Mm. And obviously I went to see that. But I grew up in a very musical household. My my parents, especially my mum, loved music, loves music, played the piano. My grandparents loved it. So from very young, she was singing to me all of the musicals of Rodgers and Hammerstein and Gershwin and um, all the all the kind of traditional nursery rhymes as well that kids love. So she knew very early on that I, I took to song and music and she'd play all the Angeloid Webber mixtapes that came out on cassette in the 80s. And she knew that I was loving Joseph and Phantom. And then obviously Les Mis came in there. And Les Mis was probably the first big show to be in Manchester. So I went to see that. But I would go and see everything, you know, every touring musical that came to the Palace and Opera House. And, you know, commercially, they're the ones you're exposed to as a young kid because they're coming to your theatre. So, you know, the 90s was pretty much, the, you know, Lloyd Webber was everywhere. He's still everywhere. Yep. Les Miss Saigon came and that was there. So Les Mis, if there's one, it would be that, mm-hmm. um, that I still remember the feeling of watching it live and hearing that score and thinking, wow you know the emotion behind this music and it's rock isn't really a it's an opera really isn't it pop opera i love song through shows yes in fact they were my favorite at first the mute i think as a younger person music was always the principal pleasure of my taste i wouldn't really be so much into the story so much the music would enchant me as i grew older and more aware of my feelings and emotions and life and philosophy I got more into Sondheim and the the strong book musicals that, I mean, not that the song through shows don't have the same weight in the characters, but there are obviously other shows that have a meatier sort of story in terms of getting to know those characters through the book and the text. So yeah, Les Mis for sure. And then I think if there's a second, it would have been the Disney animations, um, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, which also came to Manchester on tour. And I was just, in fact, actually, maybe that's wrong. Maybe my mum took me to see that at the Dominion. And I was just kind of overwhelmed with with it. And as a child, (laughs) my mum would also take me to kind of like, you know, the the stuff that kids see now, like, you know, the, I guess they see Julia Donaldson, Gruffalo things. I would have seen something like the Care Bears or My Little Pony. and, And she used to say that I wouldn't, when it's finished, I would cry and say again, 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 I didn't want to leave. (laughs) 
Well, uh, that's a perfect introduction to musical theatre. So many different types of shows. Obviously, it's a really hard business to get into, though. Did you ever have any other aspirations for any other avenues you might have gone down if musical theatre hadn't worked out? Yeah, so funnily enough, I actually studied genetics at university um, first. I really love science. I was very split at school. I did biology and chemistry and music and drama. Mm. And I went to an academic school who were very much um, pushing me to pursue the arts, (laughs) which is rare. Um, But I thought at 17, I mean, what do you know at 17? Um, You know, oh, maybe I'll just pursue a science degree and music will be my passion. Because if I make it my life, it won't be my passion. Growing up, I've realized I grew up in a house where my dad worked from home. He, you know, he had to hustle and kind of do stuff. And I liked that he was kind of an entrepreneur in a way. <laughs> He'll probably laugh if I said he was an entrepreneur, but I saw this independent person that was in charge of their own business. And my mom was very much present and pushing music at me and drama, like, well, encouraging me. And I loved it. Mm. And I performed as well and I could sing, but. I didn't have the confidence to be an actor. I didn't feel that. And it took me a while to really understand where I could be perfectly placed, which was as the backstage creative helm of a project, but didn't actually have to go on stage. So science was definitely potentially an option. A doctor, I still love medical stuff and doctors programs about medicine. Mm. Um, And I love you know, I think if I hadn't been a producer, I might have pursued the musical direction route more. And I did a lot of musical direction, a lot of vocal coaching. I love accompanying people. And I've indeed, like I say, countless shows. Um, So if it was in the, if it was in creative world, probably a composer or a, or a MD. And if it was out of that, probably a doctor. I meet a lot of people who go into sciences who, because everything they do is so focused on the technical and uh, they need the escape of the artistic and things like musical theatre and music and, and art become a, it becomes a double life for a lot of people in this field, I think. Well, I love nature and I like to know how things work. I like systems and I like um, kind of, I found through COVID, the outdoors was a big release for me. And so I love biology and chemistry and at school. And then I love the idea of being able to understand the human body mm. and fix things and help people. And then obviously as a producer, I get to, I like, I, you know, because I'm not the director where you have to be super focused on one idea in that moment. What I like is being able to juggle many, many hats. That's what I love and excel at really. It, it can be a downfall at times, but I'm good at spinning plates. I'm good at, you know, having this chat with you, then I'll be on the call to the bank, then I'll be an investor meeting, then I'll be reading a script, then I'll be watching something on telly to see if it could be a good adaptation, then I'm doing a budget, then I'm signing off a flyer. I like going, flipping, flipping, and and being able to juggle a lot of that without having to just be sat in a room for four weeks just directing or doing. So I realised that that the nature, my nature of doing many, many things all at the same time would, would excel in this way. So within my company, you have the specialists. So you have your director, you have your marketeers, you have your press people, you have your general manager, you have your payroll, you have your accountant, you have your production manager, and you manage them all. You put them all together and you say, go and make. I always say in pod podcasts that I am more the, you know, I put an artist in a room with 
paintbrush, paints and an easel and a canvas. And I say paint a picture. I'll advise you. I'll help you. I'll give you the apparatus and I'll, then I'll help try and sell it at the end. But you go and make the magic. I like putting you all together. And then I can go and do that for another two and and watch them all. That's what I enjoy. And so luckily for me, I found my calling. It was a chance thing because I would never have been a producer. I never saw shows and thought, who puts these on? What happened was I met this friend at uni who wanted to write a show. And I said, okay, I'll write some songs with you. Let's put it on. And we put it on. And then I loved the idea of forming a company and, and doing all that. And then I got more and more ingrained into that world, going to read more about it, go to conferences for stage one, the producer charity. And I had this moment of, this is it. This is what I want to do. And even though raising money, which is just crazy, like it's not like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank where you raise money for one idea. You're raising for hundreds of ideas in the hope one might take off. And yes, give you more money to invest, but also build your investor relations that those people might then invest in the next risky thing because you're nothing without the backing. So it took me five years to find my first investor, really. Wow. Had to do all of a lot of this work to then, well, at least to prove when I went out to raise for the Adams family, which was my first commercial production in 2017 that I could justify why they should invest in me. And that comes with a track record of a portfolio of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, and I don't care that it's my life because, you know, like that I've made it my life because it's also very business heavy too. So I get to do a lot of those other things that excite me. Yeah, well, thank God you have the capacity to keep so many things in your head at once. It sounds so complicated. But amongst yeah. all that in your head, is there one musical score that always gets stuck in your head? Mm, is there a score that gets stuck in my head? I'm because of because of the way I am, I tend to like and have a good vocabulary of musicals. I tend to react to the day. And so like, you know, if it's sunny, I might think of, oh, what a beautiful morning, or <laughs> If I'm at the piano, I might suddenly start playing Miss Saigon or mm. if I'm teasing, uh, you know, someone, I'm, I might sing something from a Gershwin musical. I don't know. Like, it yeah. depends what mood I'm in. I don't sit and just think of a score. But if I suddenly put on Rent in the background, I'll be singing Rent all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that happens to all of us. That's very relatable. So this is Katie Lipson. It's such a joy to talk to an incredible producer. As we talk about in the podcast, some of my favourite work of recent times has been produced by Katie. And I'm sure of the things she has coming up, I will love about 99.9% of it. I don't think there's anything she's done which is bad, but you have to allow for that small possibility she will produce something. I was going to name a show then, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to suggest which shows I don't like. I think... All musical theatre has its merits. And honestly, if someone like Katie is producing even a show I don't like, there'll be something good to enjoy in it. Make sure you're following Katie Lipson on the socials. You can find all the links in the show notes as well as this podcast at, at Musical Mare Pod on all the socials. Well, let's get back to the chat with Katie Lipson. Obviously, there are quite a few of your own that you could choose from. But apart from those, what is your favourite other musical currently running in London? Okay. Oh, current favorite musical coming. I mean, there's a lot of the long, you know, the long runners that I've seen multiple times. Mm. Um, if I had to choose between those, 
Oh, it's tricky. I'm really bad at these answers because <laughs> I can't I can't have alliance with sort of one over the other. But obviously there's still Les Mis and there's Wicked, which I think are brilliant. Of course. Um I'm more a fan of them than say Mamma Mia. And I'm trying to think what else is on of the lot. I just saw Bake Off last week, which I thought was lovely. I've seen Operation Mincemeat, which is great. Six is obviously fantastic. Six is, six is like what's I love from a, just from an ecological point of view is it's a British musical that's, that's doing great on Broadway and is making people aware that shows can be successful in many different forms. And there's British talent because I'm very passionate about British talent and I want to see more British work get to the US where it can reach new audiences. So six is a great example of, being innovative and, and being its own beast of a show. And I love that. Hamilton's obviously fantastic. It doesn't, I think it's, it moves me in a way for its genius, if that makes sense. Like it moves me because I'm like watching something that I'm just blown away by it, by it, from an academic point of view. Like I, I listen and go, whoa, those lyrics are insane. That arrangement is insane. This production is just perfectly executed, but it doesn't necessarily like woo my heart it doesn't make me cry so it's hard for me to respond because the different things that I love I loved come from away I have to say like in most times that was probably my favorite new musical of the last five years Mm. um I just thought again like a show that pretty much is sung through or has music at least through it all and whilst its score is strong what its brilliance is it's whole the whole production it's how you can connect with so many roles that only have so little stage time. I just thought it was perfectly crafted and very emotionally strong in the way it packed a punch. It was just paced so beautifully, even though me in the sky or, you know, those that know, it's just a couple of songs that are like 11 o'clock numbers. It's not full of Lloyd Webber hits, hits, hits. It's got this, it's just, I can't explain it. It just takes you on this whoosh of a journey where you don't pause for breath. And I quite like that it doesn't have like an applause point. I think it just yeah. kind of runs. So it's like cinematic and it just, by the end you breathe and you're like, That's genius, like absolute genius. So I, as as a someone that watches shows and analyzes everything, the construction, the craft, the performances, the emotion, the connection, do I lose myself? I have to factor all these things in when it comes to what's, what's my favorite. Um, but yeah, come from way my most, I know it's just closed, but recent favourite. That counts, that counts. Wicked and Les Mis. Have I missed anything that's on? Oh, I mean, we've got a lot of other (laughs) questions. I'm sure we get a chance to mention all of the other musicals. No, Come From Way is fantastic. I think that's the most I've laughed and cried in a musical, which shows how it it really connects to the human experience. Um, But on one side of that, which musical has made you or does make you laugh the most? I did a show of my own, actually, oh. called The Toxic Avenger. It's a little bit like a Book of Mormon's little sister. Oh. Um, very funny. Um, and more to my humour than Book of Mormon, for instance. So, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and I have to say I'm, I'm a bit more of a person that likes to cry than laugh because, yeah, I, I get moved um, a lot by like selfless and sort of actually there's a musical I didn't mention that is one of my favorites have yeah. you asked that yet? have you no you asked my 
show that got me in like interested in musicals but we'll get to all of your favorites okay, in time we? we'll get to it minute. definitely we talked a little bit about movie musicals earlier do you have a favorite movie musical that just filmed Moulin Rouge is still one of my favorites oh have you seen the stage show as well to compare yes and the movie wins for you yeah I don't think they compare I think it's a different beast I understand why the producers did that mm. but it's not the movie it's not got that heart in the same way but it but of course it's an amazing night out of the theater and it's it's like being at a concert like it it's like it's brilliant and entertaining and full of joy and sadness but it doesn't quite the relationship between the two protagonists I don't feel is as nuanced and special as the movie but I'm not criticizing it I think it was a choice they probably made um so yeah, I love that. I thought The Greatest Showman was a great, a great film. Really fun film. Absolutely. Yeah. Which musical might people be surprised to learn that you love? It could be something really at odds with your personality or guilty pleasure. But I guess you love so many. I mean, you produce so many different musicals. Don't know what could be yeah. at odds with your personality. I don't think anyone would <laughs> would, would be surprised. Um, i trying to think something that I love that people would be surprised Mm. that's fine we can put that uh not applicable i think there is one i think people know i'm a musical obsessive <laughs> <laughs> well is there a musical that other people really love but that you that doesn't quite connect to you for whatever reason it doesn't have to be you hate it but doesn't quite connect to you in the same way it seems to with other people probably book of mormon okay fair enough I that's very really popular like, yeah. i don't really like it <laughs> um straightforward easy uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think is the most romantic musical? Do you consider yourself a romantic, sentimental sort of person? Huge, hugely. <laughs> Lovely. Um, Light in the Piazza. Oh, a, God, yes. And I love Miss Saigon. I love Miss Saigon more than Les Mis. I, I, like, I wasn't introduced to it as young, so that's why it didn't come in. But again, like, the characters in Miss Saigon are more, well, they're more vulnerable, and the more the, the stakes are larger the stakes are way larger for kim than marius really um just in terms of the times we're living and what she, what that character and 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 actually as you get older when you think about ellen and you think about what the wife and how she was there for her husband you think about him think about her sacrifice for her child it's just i find i find that heartbreaking but very romantic too because she she stays so so bonded with Chris after all those years. Um, and, and that child is, is his and I love it. It breaks my heart every time. It's like, <laughs> it's a, it's a great show from what I have seen on the recorded video and what I've heard on the cast recording. I've never seen it live though. It's one of those big shows I need to. Is there a show which you've never seen live that you really think you really should have? Ooh, <laughs> so hard because I, I, I mean, obviously, I could go back and say it wouldn't have been amazing to have seen Bette Midler in Hello Dolly or something. But I actually, I actually choose not to buy those tickets on Broadway, you know, with Hugh Jackman in that, and because I'm like they're expensive, and I need to save my pennies for something new. Um, yeah, if you can see but, ten shows for the price of one, that's a yeah. easy calculation. I won't, I won't talk about like a classic revival or something that I could have seen had I lived in the sixties. Um, trying to think what I might have missed that I should have seen. <laughs> it's hard because I go to New York and I try and see. There are things I wait to see because I wait for them to come over. Like I haven't seen Hades Town yet, which is shocking. Oh, and that was in London for a good yes. few months as well. So I will be seeing that when it comes back, as I will Ain't Too Proud and MJ. 
I did see Strange Loop. I tend to try and go and see those biggest, those big new musicals. Um, trying to think what I might have missed in the past that. No, I mean, Hades Town, that's a huge Tony winning musical that was in London. So I'll be shocked by that on everyone's behalf. We'll be seeing it. Yeah, I will be seeing it. Um, I'm a big fan of that show. You'll, you'll love it, I think. Which musical's fictional world would you most like to live in? It might be quite cool to live in Pippin. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Pippin is all over the place and open for interpretation as well of where you are and yeah. who you're with. I love Pippin. Pippin is special, place in my heart. And I love a lot of Stephen Schwartz's work. And obviously I have a relationship with him now. Mm. Good relationship, working relationship. So it's a fantasy fantasy world. I mean, I didn't like it's it's not naturalistic kind of world. It's yeah. so maybe Pippin. And you also have a narrator of sorts to guide you through life. Who will want that? The leading player. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, this one might be kind of related to your job, really. And maybe it's hard to answer and maybe it's a future project you can't announce yet. But if you were to direct a radical restaging of a classic musical, which one would you choose? I'd probably try and do something radical with something like Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, OK. <laughs> Interesting. There have been um, a lot of attempts to make that into yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's something interesting about the song through shows, the worlds they're in, what they represented musically and even gender, you know, could be a factor. Absolutely. And interesting to see how it would it could be reimagined. Well, the big final question. If you were the mayor of musical theatre and you had the power to have any show run forever so you can go see it whenever you want, which one would you choose and in which venue? Okay, so this is this is I'm going to tell you my favourite musical now, which I never, I don't think I did. Um, well, it's coming to Regent's Park, so I am elated Ooh. to um, see it. Once on this island, I'm going to see that on Wednesday. I think the press yeah, night. That's exciting, but I can't make it. I love that piece, and I I think that was probably my most joyous thing I've seen ever. Yeah. Well, it's not joyous; it broke my heart on Broadway. Circle in the Square, the Michael Arden recent production was just everything you could ever want. And again, like I love them, I love Flatty and Aaron's. I think they're the most amazing writing team that are kind of, I know they're very successful, but they don't necessarily have the universal, oh, people don't know their names, like Angela Weber or whatever. And I think they deserve that because they're just brilliant. Ragtime, Once on the Silent. I mean, yeah, yeah. the show is obviously a little bit based on the little mermaids, you know, the loving someone that she can't have. And again, it's all about sacrifice mm. and it's about, you know, well, it's obviously huge um, issues of race and status. The score has so much heart. It, it, it kind of, it's kind of sung through as well. So it has such, I like, I like it when the score kind of, you don't just you, you can select the key songs in a in a show, but there's a lot of recitative that drives you through, and it's constantly changing structurally yeah. and texturally, and I love that, and I love Evita for that for that for those reasons too. I love the score of Evita, 
a lot more than say I, I like the show like I, I love the score I could just and actually it's, it's I have MD'd both those shows for kids I've musically directed it and I think that emotionally got me hugely invested in it as it would I think once on this island just to talk about venue for a second the Regent's Park is going to be an amazing place to see it having all having the birds singing see, seeing the trees oh on the God. stage I'm thrilled that they've chosen something a bit less obvious um and giving platform to something so deserving of a platform because you know people won't know it like legally blonde or the other kind of shows they've done jesus christ superstar and evita in the past few years it's less known some people it will be completely new and it's got such an important message and it's about nature and it's about the earth and it's about people and it's just gorgeous and the, the the woman playing Timoon is exquisite I saw her sing at the what's on stage awards and I'm just like oh she's unbelievable I cannot wait it's going to be a great week for theatre I think seeing that on Wednesday and then seeing Brokeback Mountain later in the week yeah yeah exciting times well thank you so much this has been a real pleasure to talk to you thank you thank you thank you So that was Katie Lipson. Thank you so much to Katie for being on the podcast. Uh, it's really fascinating to talk to a producer, someone who's in charge of musical theatre, who's in charge of all these shows. I, I wonder how you got into that world. She says it's not just a case of choosing the shows you want to see and choosing a venue, but, you know, maybe it is and, and maybe I, I want that to happen. Maybe who do I have to talk to to do that? I called myself the mayor. Can I just call myself a producer? I think you need to have money, money and influence. I think you need to have those things. But I do have this podcast. It is, it is produced in association with Musical Theatre Review, currently celebrating its 10th anniversary as your premier source of news reviews and interviews on all things on stage, backstage and worldwide. Make sure you check out musicaltheatrereview.com and on Twitter at, at @musicaltheatrer. This show at, at @musicalmayorpod. Um, Katie Lipson, of course, all the links are in the show notes. And most crucially, make sure you get to see Brokeback Mountain at Soho Place. It's on till 12th of August. A mountain for Elodie. Get up to Edinburgh to see it. I've seen previews of this show at Crazy Cox. It's a beautiful, beautiful show. You have to go see it. Um, that's on August 4th to 27th at Gilded Balloon Patter House. And finally, Cruise. It's at home, Manchester, 20th of July to 12th of August. That is, I mean, all great shows. You're going to have to travel across the country to see them all. Make sure you do it in an eco-friendly way. Don't destroy the planet. But you'll, you'll be glad that you saw those shows. They're all wonderful. Well, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to tune in next week and we'll have another amazing guest. I haven't actually decided which one it's going to be. I've got a backlog of a few episodes and they're all with such brilliant guests. I want to put them all out next week because I'm so excited about all of them. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's... No, let's not do clues. Just tune in next week. Keep it musical. Music.